a story to tell y'all. This is, this is kids say the darndest thing, so just remember this, okay? I heard this from a Christian comedian. You know, kids, kids will say things just out of the blue, don't mean anything to them, but, you know, I mean, I say stuff sometimes. I'm like, oh, that sounded worse than what it was. You know, so bear this in mind. This really happened to a, to a Christian preacher. And I heard the story this week. He was talking about how uh, he was going out of town for a conference and that uh, he lived in a little small town in Mississippi. And it was one of those towns where everybody knew each other. They had the largest church in the town, and so everybody knew who he was. And more than half the town went to the church there with him at, at, the, at that Baptist church. And so when he was getting ready to go out of town he decided that he was going to talk to his boys because they had a problem in sleeping with him and his mama and uh, all the time, sleeping with them and their mama when they were gone, his two younger boys. And so he wanted to make a deal with them. He said, boys, I want you to sleep in your own beds while I'm gone. And if you do, then I'll give you a Hulk Hogan action figure. This was back in the day when he was really big. Y'all know who I'm talking about, right? He said, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to give you a Hulk Hogan action figure, both of you, when I come back, if you don't sleep in the bed with your mom while I'm gone. And so they're like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So he was gone for about a week, and he flew out of the little airport there in Mississippi, and, uh, and he comes back into that airport. And this was back in those days where there wasn't a whole lot to do in town, you know, kind of way back out in the sticks, and, and the airport was the big deal, you know, sitting there watching the planes come in and go out. It was, you know, that was like watching primetime television you know, for them. And he said a whole city was there pretty much, just watching all these, these jets go in and out of there, just marveling at it. And so he says that he got off of the, the gangway and he was coming back down and he said his boys rushed up to meet him and as loud as they could in front of God and everybody that pretty much lived in that town in the middle of that airport, they screamed out, Daddy, you'd be so proud. No one slept in the bed with Mama while you were gone. Woo, that's rough. He said, I was so embarrassed. He said, I never even did tell anybody. I didn't say nothing about it. I just let it go. Let it go. Oh, my. Well, let us, uh, after that joke, probably I need to pray. And uh, let's pray. And uh, if, you, if you didn't like that, I'm sorry. You can talk to me about it later. We'll talk to you about having a sense of humor. Uh, but uh, I'm just kidding. I don't want to receive no letters for that. <laughs> Let's pray and ask God to bless this study. Father, thank you so much for uh, your many wonderful graces that you put down in our life. Uh, Father, you are just a wonderful God who gives us so much more than, than what we deserve, and we are very thankful. Uh, Lord, I know I am, and I know these people are too. Uh, Lord, I just thank you that, that through Christ we can be blessed abundantly, as William so wonderfully reminded us that our, our sins are, are in the depths of the sea. They are so far from us. You said, as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our transgressions, our sins from us. Lord, how wonderful that is. We're awful hard on ourselves many times. Guilt. Lord, I don't know that's always a bad thing. But let it never stop us from receiving your forgiveness as pure and sweet as it really is. Father, we need forgiveness for many things. 
Lord, but we, we know that when we come to you, if we confess our sins, you will forgive us of all our unrighteousness. Help us to rest in that fact, to remember it, to live in it, Lord. That you know our heart. You know, Lord, just what it is that we need. How bad we need it. So, Lord, just be our God, our guide every day. Guide us in this time as we come and as we study. Lord, help us to see and know and feel the revelation of your word this day. That it might mean something to us, Lord, that we might walk away from here knowing even more how much it is that you indeed love us and only want the best for us. Lord, help us to share this with someone else, not my words, but yours, O Lord, that have made an impact over the centuries. And we'll continue to do so until the day you call us home to be with you. Father, let us never forget the power of this word, never forget what it can do in our lives. I beg you to do something for us now, Lord, through the power of your Spirit. As we study this word through Christ, I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them with me to Psalms chapter 79. Psalms chapter 79. If you don't have your Bible, that's quite all right. There are Bibles in the seats in front of you. Uh, you can also look in the bulletin. It is readily available for you today. Psalm chapter 79. And we shall read the entire chapter. It reads like this. O God, the nations have invaded your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have reduced Jerusalem to rubble. They have left the dead bodies of your servants as food for the birds of the sky, the flesh of your own people for the animals of the wild. They have poured out blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there's no one to bury the dead. We are objects of contempt to our neighbors, of scorn and derision to those around us. How long, Lord, will you be angry forever? How long will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not acknowledge you, on the kingdoms that do not call on your name, for they have devoured Jacob and devastated his homeland. Do not hold against us the sins of past generations, and may your mercy come quickly to meet us, for we are in desperate need. Help us, God our Savior, for the glory of your name, and deliver us and forgive us of our sins for your name's sake. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Before our eyes make known among the nations that you avenge the outpoured blood of your servants. May the groans of the prisoners come before you. With your strong arm, preserve those who condemn to die. Pay back the lapse of our neighbors seven times the contempt that they have hurled at you, Lord. Then we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will praise you forever from generation to generation. We shall proclaim your praise. Of all the scriptures in the Bible, I would say that the Psalms have to be my favorite and, and no particular one. I love them all, but it seems that I love some more at different times than others in my life. 
Let me explain what I mean by quoting one of Billy Graham's most well-known statements. I find something new in the Bible every time I read it. Now that can be the experience of everyone who comes to it wanting to discover more of God's truth. I believe this to be so because at different points and times in my life, my feelings, my experiences, and my situations are always subject to change. I believe you could probably say the very same. It seems like from day to day, something is changing. Something is different. So when I read the Scriptures, what meant something to me today may mean even more to me tomorrow. What I might have glossed over yesterday may be something that I am paying extra special attention to today. And though I might find great joy in the excitement and jubilant nature of the 100th Psalm today that reads, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth worship the Lord with gladness and come before Him with joyful songs. Tomorrow I might find even more comfort in the solemn words of the 102nd Psalm that reads, Hear my prayer. Let my cry for help come to you. Do you see what I mean? It's different every day. And though these psalms, many of them, most of them, were intended as songs to be sung in worship by the people of the Lord, many began first as prayers. Prayers cried from the deepest depths of the human soul. In times and moments of my own personal despair, I have not known many times what to pray. And so I just simply turned to the Psalms and the Word of the Lord. These prayers both of joy and of pain have been preserved through the centuries by God for our benefit for many reasons. But in these moments especially, I believe, they were preserved that we might take comfort in the provision of God's people in the past when they prayed. And so that today in reading them, we might find assurance that when we pray now, we can accept the very same provision to come to meet our aid too. God desperately wants us to know that when we ask, as the psalmist did, where does my help come from, we can say with bold confidence that my help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. And because we can take confidence in these words, in these answered prayers, I want to tell you that it makes them extremely dangerous, volatile even. You may be asking yourself, what do you mean by dangerous? What do you mean by volatile, these prayers, these psalms? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Glad you brought that up. Because these prayers, when they are prayed in faith, they are life-changing. They are earth-shattering and they are mountain-moving. They make the devil nervous, terrified even, because he knows that these words of the Lord and these prayers had the potential to change the course of our life's direction forever. To stop 
keeping us focused on our sin, keeping us focused on our earthly desires and help us turn to focus solely on God and His desires for our life. Church, great things happen when we pray these exact same prayers verbatim as they are in the Psalms. But I believe even greater things can come for us when we pray about our unique lives, our unique circumstances, with these promises of Scripture in mind. As David said, I hide your word in my heart, O Lord, that I might not sin against you. It's so wonderful to be able to turn and look at these, but how much more wonderful it would be for us to remember them and to know them, even in their basic parts, to remember their promises as we live, to constantly keep these scriptural promises in mind. And that is what we're going to study together over the next few weeks. I believe that these next few weeks, beginning with today, we're going to be looking at four of the most dangerous prayers that have ever been prayed and that we could ever pray or that we could ever help someone pray. And it begins with this one, save me. Save me. In the passage that we have read together this morning, we see not only an incredibly broken man, but we see a horribly broken society. A city that lay in rubble and a temple that's still standing but is definitely defiled. Scholars admit that they do not know when this exact incident took place, but what we do know is that this was sadly not an uncommon occurrence for God's people who were often too quick to forget why such things would even happen to them in the first place. From what the psalmist tells us in the first four verses, I can imagine just how horrifying it may be to see piles of rubble laying where homes once stood, to see mothers laying in the streets dead next to fathers and see fathers laying in the streets next to mothers and their children laying next to them. And that trenches that once ran with water through the streets now run with blood. The psalmist says that Almost everyone is, is dead. And the number of those left could not even seemingly begin to contain enough manpower to bury them all before they are totally picked apart by the birds or dragged off into the woods by wild animals. It would have been a terribly ghastly sight. And I don't mean to be crass or gruesome, but with all this in your mind, place yourselves as much as we possibly can in the shoes of the psalmist who after taking stock of all the destruction that has taken place around him cries out and says, How long, Lord? How long, Lord? Will you be angry with us forever? How long will your jealousy burn like fire? What I want us to remember as we go forward is that this verse is ultimately an admission of guilt. This verse is ultimately an admission 
of guilt. Israel was attacked. The people were killed. Jerusalem destroyed. The temple has been ransacked by evil people who wanted nothing more than to see God's people fall. And guess what? That is exactly what happened, but that was not what was supposed to happen. The psalmist knew that God had promised to protect His people. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 29 says, Blessed are you, Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper and your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you and you will tread on their heights. Knowing this promise to be true, this psalmist is asking himself, why is God seemingly shirking on His obligation to Israel to protect us from things like this happening? Well, according to the New Interpreter's Bible Commentary, this is what they say, the major religious and political premise of Israel was the unique relationship to God in which the nation stood. Again, the major religious and political premise of Israel was the unique relationship to which God and the nation stood. No other nation was like this. No other nation was blessed like this. No other nation was in covenant with God. They are His people and God is their God. They were blessed by Him. They continue to say, from this derived though the idea that a special obligation rested on the Lord for the protection of His favored folk no matter what. This was a moral obligation in their minds. And if it was shirked, some explanation was sought either in His temporary indifference, His anger, or His preoccupation with other matters. The inclination to indict God on moral grounds was doubtless beneath the surface of the other explanations that piety and plausibility could devise. But never in the writings of these ancients was such a radical interpretation ever hazarded. Basically, that means that this is one of the biggest complaints against God and His character that's ever been leveled in all of the Scriptures. Says something, doesn't it? And the long and short of it is, is that there's a problem. Everyone knows there's a problem, but it's everybody else's problem except my own. That's what it basically comes down to. Do you know anybody like that? It's never their fault. It's never our fault. Are we like that maybe, perhaps, from time to time? You know, nothing is, nothing is ever our fault. It's somebody else's fault that we fell in the toilet because the lid was up. No, no, no. That's true, but you should have looked. But in more serious, have we ever said things like, I wouldn't gamble if my job stopped paying me money? We might say, I wouldn't drink if it weren't for my wife and kids the way they are. Or we say, I wouldn't be such a lousy person if my parents hadn't treated me, me bad. We ever heard those kind of things before? Sometimes right from the mouth of, of someone who spoke it right, right to us. If not, maybe from their attitude 
and the way in which they, they lived. On and on I, I could go. Yes, other people have problems, but I need to remind you as well as myself, I think sometimes for me daily, that you and I are the only ones who are directly responsible for our own actions, our own feelings, our own desires. We are the only ones who are responsible at the end of the day for ourselves and how we react to our situations and how we react to people, how we react to this world. At the end of the day and at the beginning, our actions are just that. They are our actions. Bad things do happen in this world, yes, but God is not responsible for you losing your house because you couldn't stop gambling. God is not responsible for that venereal disease you obtained by sleeping with someone that you were not married to. And God is certainly not responsible for you getting fired because you told a bold-faced lie to your boss that you got caught in. Are we starting to see the parallel between us and the psalmist, maybe? In verses 6 through 8, the psalmist runs down the list of whose fault that it could have been that caused God to, in his mind, turn his back on Israel. Is it the other nation's fault? Is it something maybe you remembered from, from my past? The psalmist is literally thinking to himself, was it my great, 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 great grandfather who did something that you just remembered and they messed up big time and now you're angry and taking it out on me and taking it out on my friends and my neighbors and my family? Who did it? What did they do? And how long, God, are you going to be angry about it? This is exactly what he's thinking to himself. This is not just a paraphrase. His words say it all. Don't hold the sins of our ancestors against us. He's saying it couldn't be my fault. Maybe it's theirs. What did I do? What did we do? No, no, it had to, it had to be someone else. Why would God punish me for them? Well, considering what God tells us of His nature, that His forgiveness is as such. Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Or parents. Making it gender neutral. You see, church, it took the psalmist nine verses. Nine verses. To realize that this was his fault and the fault of the current nation of Israel when he finally said, help us, God. Help us, God, our Savior, for the glory of your name. Deliver us, or better translated, save us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. It took him nine verses to say, Father, save us. Forgive us our sins. He finally realizes that it is his problem. The problem of the contemporary people that lived around him. He knows the scriptures that say, our sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west. He knows that his father's sins 
He's not a dumb man. He's a priest. He knows that his father's sins cannot be held against him. Nor anyone before him. Just maybe. Just maybe he thinks to himself it was my fault. Save us, God. And forgive our sins for your name's sake. And that's what God was waiting for from Israel. And that's what God is waiting for from us. It has often been said that God's glory is most wonderfully displayed through our weakness. God's glory is most wonderfully displayed through our weakness. The longer I live, the more I realize that that is so true. In reading through Kyle Eidelman's book, Grace is Greater, he made a short but yet extremely profound comment when he said, as long as we think I'm not that bad, grace will never seem that good. As long as I think I'm not that bad, grace will never seem that good. This was the original state of the psalmist and the nation of Israel. It took for them total despair to make him realize that God had not turned his back on them, but they had turned their back on God. The scripture commentator said it well when he said, Despair is sin's only rival in leading men to God. Again, the longer I live, the more I realize that is true. We would never stop doing something until it set us into a spiral of despair, until we realize that we couldn't keep it up any longer. Despair is sin's only rival in leading men to God. To God, because let's face it, we wouldn't sin if it wasn't so attractive. We wouldn't sin if it wasn't so pleasing. Why in the world would you keep going back to something that was just difficult, that was just hard? Don't you find it easy to slip into sin sometimes? Almost like it slips itself onto you. Just that easy happens that quickly, that rapidly, that easily. Again, we, we would not sin if it wasn't attractive. And though the commentator says it's sad that it takes despair to lead us many times back to God rather than looking at His nature and looking at ourselves and how unrighteous we really are, he says at least something brought us back. Boy, isn't that profound. Doesn't matter what it was, at least it was something. Despair brought us back to God. The Israelites should have known from God's word, from his character, and from his holiness that what they were doing in their lives at that point in time was wrong. And the reality is we should know that the things of our life, according to God's word, is wrong as, as well, whatever X, Y, Z might be for you or for me. You see, God's promise of protection and provision for the Israelites was conditional upon their upholding and following the law of God. 
It took the despair and ruin of Jerusalem and its people to make the psalmist realize this, realize that I was one who helped cause this destruction in my life. Well, what about us? How much destruction is it going to take for us to realize that we need to cry out to God, save me? Don't just save me from my sins, Lord. Save me from myself. Save me from the things that I want to do that I shouldn't do and help me do the things that I ought to do as the Apostle Paul cried out. Lord, save me. What is it going to take for us? What is it going to take for us to see that despite our wrongs that no one can snatch us out of the Father's hand? Despite the wrongs of the world that no one can snatch us out of the Father's hand. How long is it going to take us to realize that? That we are secure in Christ. But how long is it also going to take us to realize that even though no one can snatch us out of the Father's hand, we can jump. We can leave at any time. We can ruin that relationship by holding hands with sin rather than holding hands to God with God. Church, God's grace is not dependent on anything we can do aside from accepting it and choosing to live in it. That's the only thing that we can do about and with grace is accepting it and choosing to live in it. It's not dependent upon anything we can do. You see, Paul tells us in the book of Romans chapter 5 and verse 20 that Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. How wonderful. Where the sin of our life increases, grace increases all the more. It's continually poured out. There is never going to be a shortage of grace. But yet we must also remember that he told us in the same book, just a chapter later, shall we continue to sin that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. So how can we live in it any longer? In one verse we are told that there's plenty of grace. But in another verse it says, don't abuse grace. So how do we make sense of this? Well, it's exactly this. that comes straight from the Scriptures. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. That's grace at its finest. It is one thing to struggle with sin. It is one thing to struggle with sin. We are going to struggle with sin as long as we are here on this earth. But it's another to open up the door and let it come right on in and live in our house, live in our life. To make it as normal a part of our day as brushing our teeth or drinking a cup of coffee in the morning. We need to battle it. We need to fight it. We need to ask God for his help for it to be removed from our life. But the moment we stop struggling with it is the moment we start sleeping with it. 
It is living with us. It is living in us. We have stopped asking God for forgiveness. And we've started just making it a part of who we are. We find our identity rather in sin than in God. And it's a poignant reminder for me as well as you. Remember, conviction comes first to the preacher when the sermon is prepared before it ever hits the congregation. But we are told that at the end of time, everything is going to be refined by fire. Gold is purified. The gold represents the goodness of God, His Spirit in our lives. But what He says is going to be cleansed, and what is going to be burnt to pieces is all the sin of the world. So where does our heart rest? Because that's the only thing that really matters. Where does our heart rest and lie? Is it been golden by the Spirit of God, sealed by His Spirit as the Word tells us? Or is sin what's reigning in our heart? As a good brother has talked about before, I can stand in the car or in the garage. I can go vroom, vroom, vroom all day long. But that doesn't make me a car. Church, the reality is, is that we can call ourselves Christians all day long. But if we do nothing to foster the relationship between us and our Lord, that title means nothing. It means nothing to the world. Sadly, by the state of our heart, it means nothing to us. Christ gave everything that He had for us so that we might live. All He asks is that we live in Him. And the wonderful benefit is, is that as we find, as we live in Him, despite the sin that so easily entangles and ensnares us in this life, what we find is that the life we live in Christ is so much better than any way we could live in the world. I was talking to someone just last week, and we, we were remarking how sometimes living the godly life may not seem as fun as it does to... as it does to to others who might be living in a life of, of sin, giving in to the struggle. But I can tell you, I'll trade all that fun for not having to look over my shoulder waiting for some demon to come get me, for something to come find me, for something to, to cause my life ruin, all because of the pursuit of something I thought was fun. So let me ask you, if your, if your life lay in ruins, you feel like that, like the city of Jerusalem, and all you can see is carnage from a broken and wrecked life, I want you to remember that you are one of God's people, the sheep of His pasture, as the Scripture reminds us, and that there is nothing that can stand in the way of your ability to praise Him forever and ever. That is nothing that you confess, repent, renounce, and turn over to Him. Those things cannot stand in the way. If they are giving to Him, nothing can stand in the way of us praising God forever. So my question is, will you? Will you give it to God? So you can praise Him forever. Because here's the reality, church. This life is extremely short. Some of you all realize that more than others, maybe. Maybe you're more acquainted with the reality that 
your life is coming to a quick close, at least so it seems. Maybe there's been something in the life of you that you lost someone maybe too soon and you realize that life is short. We wish that we had more time. We can wish that we have more time or we can think that we have more time as long as we live. But the moment we breathe our last breath, we will not be able to think about that any longer. So I want to ask you to think about that now and act upon that now. If you need to cry out, Lord, save me. Save me because you have never saved me before. I'm not in Jesus. Well, you need to settle that with him now. If there is something staying in the way of your relationship with Jesus and you feel that it is just tearing you apart, it's tearing your family apart, or you can see it coming, you can see the fire burning in the distance, or you know somebody who needs to cry out, Lord, save me, do not wait. Today is the day to do something about it because nobody knows what's going to happen from this to the next. None of us knows if we're going to be able to take that breath. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to show you the reality that if you know you need to be rescued, you need to cry out now because we have no idea when we are going to be totally taken over by death. Church, as I pray, I'm praying you make a decision now or whatever it might need to be. Will you pray with me? Lord, I have done things in my life that I know are not pleasing to you, but the difference is made when I ask you to save me. Lord, your servant David seemed like he spent his whole life repenting. But Lord, he was a man after your own heart because he always repented. He always sought to come back to you. And Lord, we can know the very same. Father, we struggle with sin. We wrestle with it. Lord, but help us not to lay down to it, to give into it and make it a part of who we are. Lord, we need you desperately. We need your spirit desperately to infiltrate and fill our life. Lord, we need you to save us from our sins, but also save us from ourselves, from those, those desires that we continually conjure up and relive and think about. The action and the ways that we keep walking back to, maybe even running as soon as these services are over. Help us not to do that anymore. Lord, let it today be the day that everything changed that we came to Christ for the first time maybe. Lord, that we renounced that sin, that we rededicated ourselves to you and your service, that we begged your forgiveness so that we might know what it's like to walk hand in hand with you again. Lord, you tell us that if we are lukewarm, you're going to spit us out of your mouth. You don't care that there was some fire here and some coldness there. You want the whole thing. You want us to be on fire for you. And forgiveness and mercy and grace makes that possible. But Lord, we've got to ask for it. So may we ask today. 
I don't know what anybody needs in this room specifically. But I know that we all need you. This world, every person who's ever lived, who's being born now, will ever be born, till the day you come back, needs you. So we cry out, Lord, for us, for our country, for our world. Save us. Forgive us, Lord. And save us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I have good news today for anyone that needs to cry out to God to save me. That good news is this. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 we read, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and He will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. He will take away every bad thing in your life and in my life, and He will cleanse us. Today, to God, it does not matter what you have done or whether you have accepted Him or not. God wants to give the same grace, pure and free, the same forgiveness, even if it's for the hundredth time. If it's truly meant, God wants to give it today. He wants to give grace to you for the person who's coming to Christ for the first time or the person who's confessing for the hundredth. God wants to give His grace to you. God can and He will forgive you. Listen to a selection from Psalm 103. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, He will not always accuse, nor will He harbor His anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Praise the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As as far as the east is from the west, so He has removed our transgressions or our sins from us. Church, I ask you one last time, will you be honest with yourself and with God today? Will you be honest and say, Lord, save me? That you will cry out, Lord, save me. Before it's far too late. Offer that invitation to anybody who will accept it. For any need, come to the altar and give it to the Lord as we stand and we sing.